there's porn that is better uh, executed than this. Yeah, no, shoot, shoot in me, shoot in me took me the fuck I, out. I, was I mean, done. would it would it surprise <laughs> you if I told you that this was written by Ash Avildsen <laughs> <laughs> and no. Maddie Beckerman, whoever that is? Am I allowed to give spoilers on this? Oh podcast? yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, I in think case you were trying to watch the movie, I don't recommend yeah. it. No, um, no, they, don't. I would not watch this movie. It's no. fucking terrible. where we delve into films with heavy metal soundtracks, terrible stoner movies, and other such nonsense. I'm Dylan, and joining me for this episode is Connor Appleton, who plays bass in Come Mierda, a.k.a. the greatest named band, uh, and also does audio engineering and works uh, soundboarder, too. Uh, a couple is, here that, and there. is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been known to push a few faders here and there, yeah. So could you uh, could you tell us a little about yourself? Like, I think we kind of know each other, you know, lightly. You know, I think you were you were doing sound at Desert Fest last year, right? At the Knockdown Center. Was that you? Yes. Yeah, I was yeah, doing okay. um, I was doing monitors all weekend on the main stage, which was like such a fun time for me. There's a lot of really cool bands. So so that was super cool. I was like definitely deaf by the end of High on Fire set. Cause like Jeff Matz's bass rig was right next to my monitor console. So even like with, I had like the headphones and I was, I couldn't hear shit. It was great. I had plugs in and I was like, wow, that bass is so fucking loud. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, as high on fire, you expect them to just like exactly the foundation. So that, that was, that was fun. So yeah, I do like monitors in front of house and, um, you know, I, uh, I went to school for audio engineering, which like, I don't recommend if you're trying to get into the field, <laughs> um, just because like, you could just go and get a job at an, you know, like for a lot, like a live sound company, go get a studio internship. You can like learn a lot of the stuff without spending college money on, mm -hmm. you know, you like a lot of the stuff that's really useful to me has been learned from my hands-on experience um not to say that i didn't have some really cool professors who like put me on to some you know really hip knowledge about engineering and but um but like if you're trying to get into it i would recommend just just get into it you know like buy a little mixer and plug shit in and figure out how it works and you know or just ask somebody honestly youtube is your best friend i still <laughs> i'll be on gigs like even now and if i'm working on a console i'm not super familiar with or like haven't used before i'll just pull up youtube and like yo how do i like set this shit to pre-fader oh it's in you know i've been a musician like my whole life i played guitar and bass since i was like nine or ten or whatever but um but yeah i play in Komi mierda right now that's my my main band um and we've been like traveling a lot, hitting little pockets of uh, of the country, doing little weekend runs and, you know, like touring as much as we can. Cause like touring as a, um, as an independent band is like really expensive and kind of difficult. So like we do it in little, little pockets as, as mm -hmm. of right now, you know, but it's, it's been really cool. Um, I love playing with them. Uh, we've been working on a new EP. Uh, so as soon as Jackie's out in California right now, but as soon as she gets back, we'll get to tracking some vocals and, 
you know, we'll have some some teasers for that. But uh, you kind of do touring like an e- it's like an EP of touring. It's just these little yeah. short but powerful bursts. Of little energy. EP tours. Yeah, um, we're definitely <laughs> big fans of the weekenders because, you know, we like we all work and stuff. So like it, it ends up working out. But um, mm-hmm. we've been able to like meet a lot of really cool people all over the country and Earlier this year, we went out to California and played some shows out there um, and met this band, Violencia, from out in Tijuana um, and played down oh, in Tijuana They, they just them. got mentioned uh, on the last episode with my friend Irene. Oh, cool. Yeah, they um they just came and did their first like East Coast run, and we did a few of the shows with them. Um, yeah, and, and I think Irene's band High Cost opened up for them. Yes. Yeah at, um, yeah, at St. Vitus. Yeah, yes. okay. Yes, yes, that's what it was. Yeah, uh, shout out High Cost. They're, they're great. Yeah. Well, I saw I went to go see them and that's where I wound up seeing Come Mierda because I believe you were the headliners and they were two bands ahead of yeah, you. One yep. of those it was like one of those four band nights, you know. Real good night. Yeah. Solid like solid bill, quick and easy. But yeah, that was a that was a really fun night. I, I love playing at St. Vitus. That's like my favorite, you know, New York venue. There's plenty of good spots that like are bigger or like have cooler sound systems, but like, you know, the best hangs are always at St. Vitus, you know. So well, real quick, obviously, yeah. shout out to Irene. Thanks again for coming on the podcast last time, Irene. So you get on the road uh, a bit, and uh, you know, in in the as I as I see it, the off touring Come Mierda. Um, mm-hmm. You know what what is that like out on the road, and like kind of what are the things, and, and especially now in like a like a post COVID environment where touring has become like such a weird kind of unpredictable market and you see like a lot of like kind of just these weird stories unfolding whether it's like like a well number one you know the most often thing i see is like van breakdowns um mm-hmm. there's been like just these weird spats of like thefts and break-ins a yeah. lot of independent bands getting hit i think there was like a year of the knife was in a horrible accident um and then yeah. you've got like these tour cancellations like i know you know this will be coming out much after the fact but like danzig straight up canceled his tour because they're like it's too hot he's like too hot it's too hot oh my god that's so on brand i love that um (laughs) not surprising but no it's like it's tough for um it's tough for touring musicians of like any level right like Komi Mierda we're on the DIY side we're doing things independently and doing the weekenders and like crashing on couches and, and playing like cool weird little little spots but from some of the audio work like I tour with a few artists um who are like on bigger labels and have budgets and like they have a crew and stuff and it still is kind of difficult you know like unless you're like at you know Beyonce level of touring where you're I think she just like broke the record for like most uh, like highest grossing tour of all time or highest grossing female artist tour of all time, whatever. But like anybody who's doing it is it's like tough unless you have like a really good team and you can like budget well. And I don't know, but it's definitely um, there's and and especially with COVID, like even take COVID out of it. It's it's hard. Like COVID threw a wrench into everything, you know, so but it's like Like this stuff would have happened probably. Maybe not like uh, as quickly because like, you know, you saw some tour cancellations prior to 2020, but they were like definitely more sporadic and definitely more like, oh, someone broke their leg or it yeah. was like a death of the family or something like that. It was usually something like 
kind of uh, unavoidable or something like that, or like a logistics thing, you know? Yeah, it would. The visa thing was what was going to wind up being the fucking like real, you know, pain in the ass for a while. And then just, you know, with the world shut down and, and you're seeing bands, like especially smaller bands, just like calling it quits, older generation bands like me, like we're done. Or these like never ending farewell tours. Exactly. The DIY side of touring, it, um, the, with the like the van break-in type that like I've, I've been talking to a lot of people who have lost a lot of gear um mm-hmm. recently like i feel like what was it st louis like i was reading that there was just like a ring of just like you know van break-in thieves that was just like a, a hot spot for for uh for gear theft but so i've gotten into the habit of just like any tour that we're, that i'm on no matter what the gear situation is like wherever we end up at the night at the end of the night we unload the van into the building you know if it's like we're staying yeah, in a hotel yeah find a, a closet in the hotel or if we're like at somebody's house whatever whatever the, the you know you don't take chances with gear but yeah it's um it's still like it's really fun you know like you get to travel and be with hopefully with people that you're like friends you know your friends and people that you you vibe with but it's not as glamorous and like exciting as a lot of people who like who might not do it would think it is like oh you get to travel all over the world and like meet all these people and stuff but really it's like most of the time it's just like you're looking at a highway or the inside of a gas station and then the venue yeah. and then the van again, you know, like I, I think the myth of bands touring, uh, I think that's kind of like been eroded, you know, it's very clear, like what, you know, the highlights are. And like, when you see it on Instagram, you're, you're not seeing that you're seeing like, even if it's just like, Oh, we saw like this cool rock formation on the side of the road. And you'd like, that's like the first thing you've seen in like what, two hours of driving. Out yeah. Of the desert and that's a highlight. Like that. yeah. yeah. And you're like, Oh man, that's great. Hey, we're stopped. Let's like take some pictures. Let's have a cigarette. You exactly. Know? Let's smoke a joy. Okay. Time to get back in the car. Yep. Or like the the simple pleasures is like oh yo this gas station in the middle of nowhere has yerba mate like awesome you know like but um <laughs> but like that's that's the anytime I'm ever like in a situation I'm like tired or like sleep deprived because that's like a big thing of touring like you never know when you're gonna get some time to rest like sometimes you're driving all day and then you gotta go load in and do the show it's what you're, that's what you signed up for. You know what I mean? Anytime I'm feeling like that, like I'm exhausted or like, damn, I don't want to deal with this. Like, oh, I got to go do like another show. Like, this is what you wanted. Like, this is, this is what you mm-hmm. dreamed about when you were a kid, you know, like, and maybe the dream's not exactly what you were dreaming about, but then you like do it. And it's not, you know, unless you're like guns and roses in the eighties, you know, but that doesn't like, that's kind of not how things are anymore, you know, and at least not for like rock bands, you know, even like, I feel like the biggest rock bands, it's just like not as humongous and like glamorized as it used to be, you know, with the the active lens of social media. Like, you know, if you had like if, if, you, if you know, Instagram was a thing for Guns N' Roses in the 80s, like, I don't know, people would just be like, wow, these guys <laughs> kind of questionable what all yeah. like, that they're doing on that bus. So yeah. it's like, you know, people don't really it's. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. But yeah, well, I, I and I, I get what you're saying. There's like this, uh, there wasn't as much documentation back then. So like not, you know, there wasn't as much like <laughs> concrete evidence. It was, it was more like rumors and like, did you hear that this, you know, Ozzy bit the head off of what I, you know, it was like, but yeah, I really, I really enjoy touring. Like I like traveling and being mm-hmm. in new places and like talking to people who do what we do in different places. And, you know, I met on, on the last tour that I was out, 
with the this artist. Uh, her name's Wallace from out in Los Angeles. Shout out Wallace. Really cool, like indie rock, pop kind of artist. And we were just I'm doing front of house for her, and we're in in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, and their house engineer plays for a band called Severed Boy, and we're playing with that. Komi Mierda played with them back in in August. So like, I keep meeting people who like this wor- this part of my life and this part of my life are like. You know, it, the the world is really small when you when you play music, even even in like cross genres and and you know different uh, schools of music. It's like the world is really small. So, well, especially uh, like you know, and I and I don't mean any offense by this, but in your the sort of like niche genre that you know you play in and the stuff that caters to you, like I feel like that sort of like crossover is inevitable. Like you kind of can't like pick and choose. Like you got to do like what works for you. And it's all kind of DIY to some degree at this point, you know, it's not, there's not this like conception of like, Oh, if you play the X kind of music, it's going to be a more lucrative style. It's like, no, it's not how it works. It's kind of like wrestling. A lot of those guys are doing just driving around in a, in a car, going to these events, beat the shit out of each other. And same thing. That's what I've learned as a, uh, you know, not, actual real big wrestling fan but my partner explaining a lot of this stuff to me and you know how similar like wrestling independent wrestling is to indie bands and music and whatnot so yeah any i mean i i feel like a wrestler isn't the first person you would think of when you say like a creative you know you think of like artists but that totally is like they're artists in in their own right like they're doing like a a fringe like you said like kind of like a niche like interest thing which is very very specific and maybe not humongously lucrative unless you're at a certain level but like they do it because they love it you know they do it like for the passion of like i play in guitar bands because i love it not because it's like gonna make me money you know like Mm -hmm. i i do it kind of in spite of the the fact but like you know that's what makes me feel good you know we find we find a way to like maybe one day we could spin our our interest and make a few bucks off it but honestly like i've been really enjoying working um in like an audio capacity for bands that are like not heavy at all because it's mm-hmm. just it's like a different it's a different environment and it's it's like lower key and it's fun you know like i love being around all heavy you know i'm a big death metal fan i love hardcore like I, I, anything that's like loud and aggressive and guitar i'm about it but you know sometimes i'm like i just want to put on some stevie wonder and kick it you know so like it's nice to have the 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 balance so i don't have to like I don't have to like concentrate so hard on my bands making me a living and I can like focus on playing the music I want to play. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I know, you know, plenty of musicians like have jobs to support their, their artist habit. You know, I guess I'm kind of just like lucky. The mind's a little parallel to my, my, you know, my, my hobby, my, you know, my passion, whatever. Do you have like a notable road story, like from being out on there and just like, uh, just, wow, cannot fucking believe that just happened kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is um, the last time Comi Mierdo was out in in California earlier this year, we were out with uh, Self Sabotage, a band from out in LA, who is super dope. Um, and they kind of like arranged the whole tour and we drove with them in the van and stuff and like, you know, used their back line. Like they totally hooked us up. The whole we kind of got like put onto the whole LA like punk scene out there, and it's they were super hospitable, like really cool. Mm-hmm. So we're out there, and <laughs> it's the first show we're doing. We're doing four shows. It's like LA, San Diego, Tijuana, 
um, just like a you know a bunch of the bunch of shows in that area. We had finished the show and we were at this bar, this local like dive bar. It was like called Poor Somebody's, some guys, the Poor Joe's or whatever. I can't remember. But so we're we're out in the parking lot and it's like three in the morning and we're all hanging out and everybody's like sauced and you know self sabotages van is parked and then like our our car is parked and we're all kind of just like hanging out and we're sitting in the car and this car pulls up this like escalade looking you know like suv type of thing and this guy rolls the window down and like says something to (laughs) sounds familiar to something that happened in the movie (laughs) yeah so he pulls up and he like says something to i think um our friends uh our friends teddy and and somebody else but they like the dude pulled up and obviously was like trying to like holla at one of the girls that was like you know hanging out with us and was like hey you want to take a ride in a nice car he's just like something and we all like kind of looked at him and we're just like okay and then just like went back to what we were doing you know like that meme where everybody's just like the in the group and like the big thumb and it was just like all right dude cool but he just like stayed there and, and kept trying to say something i turned the music down and was just and he was just like saying something to me i was like yo be gone like i was on my i was quoting space jam on some weird shit because i was i was drunk as hell and he was like <laughs> what'd you say Zach, the guitar player of Comey and Me, are just sitting in the in the driver's seat while I'm in the passenger seat talking shit out the window. And he puts on Darud Sandstorm, full blast. So everybody else in the car is like everybody's dancing, laughing, having a good time. And this guy's getting out of his car to come like start beef with us because because I said something out the window. So he's walking up to the car and like nobody else is paying attention. He gets up to my window and that's when I'm like, all right. I'm not dealing with this. So I opened the car real hard into his dick and like pushed him back and got out the car and like, was like, what's happening? Like, are you really like, what's going on? And that's when the dude realized that he was like this tall. And when I got out of the car, so as soon as I got out, our he was Ted, not very tall. He was not, he was like, not about it. And he didn't, I was sitting in the car, like in the passenger seat. So yeah. he like, I could like visibly see, he didn't realize how big I was before I got out of the car. So like, he was just like, uh, and before I even said anything, our friends, Teddy and Jeanette, who were standing outside the car, I guess who he was trying to holla at, got in his face and were like screaming at his, well, who the fuck are you? What are you trying? Like got in his face. were like totally punked him out. And like, I was just like, damn, okay. And I just like, let them, let them go, whatever. But this guy is like trying to, trying to yell, yell and fight back the fucking, the bass player from self-sabotage comes through and like gets in dude's face. He's like, yo, you're the, don't get in these fucking ladies face, like back up. And this dude is like reaching in his, in his pocket. And I was like, Oh hell no. I was like sneaking around the side. Like I was going to, he pulls out his phone and starts rec- recording <laughs> after he start, started recording. So we're all like, ah, you a bitch. Like dude tried to like snatch his phone, whatever. So at this point, he turns over his shoulder and like it's pitch black. There's like a little like highway, whatever. Nobody's around. He's he yells out out the corner. He's like, hey, yo, Poyo, pull up. This dude comes out of nowhere on a little scooter fucking skirt into the parking lot. This dude named Poyo, I guess he came through and it was this this guy's friend. And we thought this was about to turn into like a rumble. This guy comes up. He's like, what's going on? And the dude's like, whatever to, to Poyo. And Poyo's like, you got to relax, man you're you're doing too much so at this point we're all like okay it's not a threat like this guy's not trying to fight it's not a threat anymore it's just super goofy so we're all just clowning him like laughing at him and he's just like still wants to fight you know he's like you're talking shit to me you got glasses on i'm like 
you're still a bitch. Like, you know? <laughs> um, so it was just like the the comedy of the situation was just like, we're all hanging out, having a nice time, minding our business. And this guy just like rolls out out of the middle of the night at 3 a.m. trying to start problems. And like, I was being super goofy. I was being a silly goose, you know? And so like, you never know, like, you never know when you're going to be on the road and it's going to, it's going to be fun. And there's just like a wild card. There's just like some random person you got to deal with some random weird dude at a, at a gas station. I want to preface that, or I guess suffice that. I don't know what the, the proper word for that. My English is escaping me, but uh, <laughs> I don't condone violence, especially when you're, while you're on the road. It's usually not a smart thing to like get into fights while you're on the road um, because like you're away from home and you never know what the local police situation is going to be, you know? Yeah. So um, besides the fact that pacifism is nice, um, it's just not smart to like be getting into fights on the road. So I try to avoid getting into fights everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's generally a good policy. Um, but like in that situation, like it was just a guy had a problem. So like you kind of have to, I mean, I have adopted like the walk softly, carry a big stick kind of thing, you know, like where I don't want any problems and I'm not going to start any problems, but like, you know, I was I was good. I was ready to defend myself if this guy was going to do some dumb shit. But like, otherwise, there's no I don't know. I'm not like a violent person, you know, mm -hmm. like a mosh a little bit. And that's enough for me. You know, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough violence. Like moshing is is the violence that I like, you know. All right. So strange man in a car and almost fight. So, you know, there's a, a, not not dissimilar from some things that happened uh in the movie we watched which we kind of uh gave it away before but yeah yes. i i uh uh kind of uh begrudgingly maybe asked connor to watch american satan uh for this episode the, this is uh one of the imdb trivia entries uh that summarizes the film a rock and roll modern day retelling of faust starring andy Biersack. Yeah, that's our that's the our lead's name, Beersack, as Johnny Faust. Faust is the protagonist of a classic German legend based on the historical Johann George Faust. The erudite Faust is highly successful but dissatisfied with his life, which leads him to make a pact with the devil at a crossroads, exchanging his soul for unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasures. Now, it's a story that's been told many times, and uh, they just, you know, uh, the filmmaker, Ash Avildsen, decided that he was going to do his version of it. And uh, somehow I imagine that when Faust was written, it just probably has and still has a lot more depth than this fucking dog shit movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would um, hope so. I mean, Jesus. We, you know, we'll get into it, but. I fucking hated this. <laughs> this was terrible. This is like probably one of the worst movies I've seen. Yeah, uh, it's definitely on on the worst list for sure. Uh, I don't know what place it takes right now. I need to like take stock um, and rank them. But like, oh boy, that was like really hard to get through. There's movies that I've watched where I'm like, wow, that is so bad. Like just not even like redeemably like bad, like like funny bad. Like there's. That's a mm -hmm. that's okay. That's that's obviously very acceptable. For sure. Um this was a movie that uh infuriated me <laughs> to some degree and just was honestly like not even like well made. Like the actual like 
film itself, like the the uh, the aspect of the filmmaking was pretty bad. Like I gotta say, it was yeah quite bad. No, the quality was weird. I mean, the first the first thing that I noticed, I and I I took I started a notes app and <laughs> uh, and I I, st- I started taking notes, and the first note was just like dialogue's real bad. Like the first like the first few lines of dialogue was just like people don't talk like that. Like that's not. It's not natural. Like none of the dialogue made sense to like, it wasn't natural, you know? In well done movies where it's not super character story driven, it has to be believable still, but it's fine that, you know, I understand that's not how like people talk, um, yeah. but, but in this case, <laughs> but yeah, <it's> just... <laughs> and you know, and I, and I was trying to like, I, I knew that some of the, the, the lead actors were like, you know, like musicians, like not act, they'd never acted before. So I'm trying to, you know, trying to give them benefit of the doubt. It's like, okay, maybe it's not, it's not, I'm not, I'm, I was trying to, you know, not nitpick right away, but yeah, the, the dialogue was just very, very strange. The, the whole opening sequence was very strange. It felt like, uh, I don't know, like a, like a, like a headbangers ball intro from like the early two thousands or something. The thing that like stood out to me a lot was the the spliced in crowd footage where it was like obviously from some <laughs> Sumerian bands or like some festival that they like got crowd footage from and and had the rights to. And it was like obviously from a different setting, not where the band was playing, like different color grading and like, you know, it was filmed on different equipment. And like, I'm not a filmmaker, you know. Um, I don't really know about like camera models and and the, the like specifics of lenses and shit like that. But like, so like when I can tell, technical understanding of like just knowing that like there's a way to do this shit. That, like, yeah, like tell. yeah, like hey, that looks different. Like I don't know, I don't know how you know. It's like when no, I was younger true. and I would listen to music and be like, I don't know what it is. This this sounds a little different. And it's just like, oh yeah, there's different studio production techniques. It's like, why does this sound different? But yeah, it's just like. The technical aspects of this movie, I feel like we're lacking. I'm kind of blown away by the cast. The cast is really what threw me the most because it's like you got. Um, yeah, we'll got, run through that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll go through some of the the, the technical aspects sure. of this. Yeah, so. I don't want to. I don't want to skip through your uh, your like your yeah. format. Yeah. So this uh, came out in 2017, which is weird because it feels like it was a movie that came out in 2021. It just kind of felt like it was on that way. And 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 just quickly to kind of respond to something you said, like I have seen movies that actually are technically even le- like lower quality than this film that mm-hmm. are better than this movie. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like that have almost like a like a super high def. The, you know how like soap operas have that like weird sort of like effect to them where they almost looks like that. And I'm like, this is a better movie. Yep, it just, 100%. they just filmed it with a camera they could afford. Yeah, no, that's, I, I'm definitely not a quality snob. Like, you know, like it's like, uh, oh, I like the demos better, even though it was like a shitty quality recording. Like it's, you know, the right. songs are good. It's like the movie's good, you know, like, and this was not, <laughs> this is not so much like a, like a toxic Avenger type situation where it's like really bad and enjoyable and, you know, exactly. fun, you know, um, I love movies like that. You know, it's like, if it's like leaning into how bad it is, like it's, you know, yeah. that's cool. But yeah. So this was directed by Ash Avildsen, Avildsen, Ash Avildsen, released by Sumerian films. 
movie is dedicated to Ash's dad, John G. Avildsen, who directed Rocky, Rocky V, and The Karate Kid. So he's, you know, a Nepo baby. <laughs> ah, okay. See, I I did not know that. That's uh, that's interesting. Now, I I watched the Rocky films. I think earlier was, I was doing a bunch of viewings with some friends. And we watched, we got through. I had never seen Rocky Five actually. I'd only seen Rocky One through Four. I'm going through it. Um, and yeah, watching I've them again, Rocky One is like you know it's it's good, but it's kind of a wild film. Like it's just like it's yeah. just kind of a weird movie at times. Rocky Five is fucking terrible. <laughs> Full disclosure: I've never seen the Karate Kid. Yeah, uh, Karate Kid's kind of like forgettable for me i don't know i feel like rocky and the karate kid are both like nostalgia driven for a lot of people like it's like you, you kind of had to be there and like people like it because of its place in like the culture you know the, but the fight of rocky is yeah. great everything before rocky is like kind of awkward and weird kind of weird strange, yeah you know yeah. it's like we also watched raging bull like right after that and we're like okay this is like a much better movie. It, 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 it is. you know, yeah. just everything about it is like much better. Um, I mean, yeah, that's like a that's a rough comparison, you know. Like, yeah, hard to, <laughs> yeah, hard to compete, hard. but no, no, I mean, not on your part. I just mean like you know, Raging Bull is you know, it's like it's, it's hard to hard to compete, but exactly. Um, so, uh, Sumerian Films obviously is uh, associated with Sumerian Records, which is currently located in Los Angeles. That's Ash's uh, record label uh, that he found in 2006. Initially, the label was run out of his one-bedroom apartment in Venice Beach, beginning with the bands The Faceless and Stick to Your Guns. Sumerian has since released over 100 albums, expanded their roster to feature a diverse collective of over 40 artists, and in 2016 celebrated their 10-year anniversary as a successful independent label. Artists that you might know that they uh, represent or that are on the roster are Black Veil Brides, Crosses, you know, the like three crosses, the Chino Marino band, Poppy, Bad Omens, Animals as Leaders, and I See Stars. None of those bands make me think like, yeah, ancient Sumeria. Like, I don't look at fucking Black Veil Brides and go, yeah, ancient history. No, not what I see whatsoever. Um, not so much. I completely missed the boat on most of Sumerian records. I liked Animals as Leaders, and I liked Crosses. And that was about it because all the other stuff that they put out was stuff that I just did not like. I didn't think it was interesting. I thought it was pretty shallow. It all kind of just has like the same squeaky clean sort of production. Uh, lots yeah. of like corporate backing. You know, you always see these bands on big festival bills pretty high up, even if the whole like there's a whole bunch of other bands that just sound nothing like them that are like way more harsh and aggressive. So yeah. it's just never really been my thing. I kind of agree with you. Um, I had a, I had like a big prog phase um, when I was like getting out of high school or not. Maybe I'm gonna date myself. Getting out of high school, going to college in like 2010. Sure. So I was Same definitely here. yeah. So I was like definitely really into Animals as Leaders. Like I was fascinated by the way like Tosa Nabasi played guitar. And honestly, like I've moved so far away from that type of playing not to take anything away from it it's still sick i can't do a lot of that stuff anymore um but it's like it just doesn't really it's not interesting to me like the the virtuosic like guitar playing shit just doesn't doesn't really hit for me and like i feel like 
Sumerian records, like from my um, awareness of it, was always kind of very like prog gent centric with some like metalcore and like kind of weird like pop random like outliers and stuff. But um, yeah, generally not usually my bag. I met and worked with uh, Periphery like while I was in college, I was interning at a studio and the producer at the studio like really wanted to work with Periphery or something. So they came through like one day brought a bunch of expensive guitars and they were like all really nice and, and cool but like nothing came of it but but like yeah other like i don't really i i haven't i like don't really pay attention i don't even know like who who's currently on their their roster like i know I, like i liked a couple of the first uh faceless records while they were coming out planetary duality and that you know th th they released that on on sumerian but otherwise yeah i'm kind of in the same boat like not super interested or aware the uh, the the man in charge himself uh, is no stranger to controversy. There was some music piracy stuff. I think Periphery had a falling out with him. And then he went on like a weird rant about like COVID lockdowns that were supposedly coming at a, another point in the year. And uh, the, none of them ever happened. They were just proposed guidelines from like the CDC. Yeah. Like, and it just like, I don't, it was just another example of like, like where, like, what is this flex? Why are you doing this? You're getting upset about things. You're stirring up controversy for no yeah. real reason. You're getting people like pissed off. So I don't know if, if you want a good accounting of like kind of how dumb this guy seems to be. There's a really good episode of the toilet of hell podcast chronicling it, which is episode uh, 421. And then there's some follow up to that in 423 about him harassing Tom Morello. Huh? Yeah, just like apparently he lives like down the street from Tom Morello or something and saw him and just started like harassing him about his like politics and having discussions and if they could be friends. And Tom Morello's like, dude, I'm just trying to go get coffee. That's so weird. Yeah. That's so yeah, don't do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so strange. I also think he has a really punchable face. So I, I should have done more research when I watched this movie because I can't. I can't see. I don't. I don't know what he looks like. I. I didn't know any of this. Uh, this background info. That's um, that's annoying. That's like the the COVID thing. Like, what are you? You too, One of those guys is too tough to wear a mask. Like, it's you know, it's government tyranny. Like, that shit. I don't know. That all that shit was just like so corny to me. But yeah, it's just a thing that people get like so worked up about. And I'm just like, dude, the rest of the world doesn't even care this much anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think first question is regarding this movie, you know, how did you think that this uh, stacked up in terms of portraying a touring band? Because uh, they, they, man, they lucked out pretty hard in this. Sounds like they had a lot more luxuries to enjoy than you, you have. They, um, yeah, it seemed like they skipped a, a bunch of steps. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know there's, I know there's some, there's some outliers. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty based on like nepotism or whatever there's some bands that like there's like one or two bands that like i've, I've heard that they got signed before they had played and then kind of like were developed or whatever but like that's not usually how that goes especially given that like the members had never really like played together in this band um yeah in this fictional band in this fictional band it was literally like the singer and the guitar player who were in one area and then the other guitar player who's in england no drummer or bass player. No, they have to recruit a drummer. They have to steal a drummer from a, a shitty bar band, which um, I got to say, that was probably the most accurate depiction of 
being in a band in that movie <laughs> was poaching a good drummer from a shitty band. That's like, that's like very, very accurate. But, um, but other than that, like start with the drummer, like the drummer took the gig. He got, he got hustled by uh, the guitar player and Sam from game of Thrones. And then like got on a plane with them to go to California, having no info. And then they get there and it's like, Oh, we're living in a van together and Surprise. this is our manager. And like, you don't think like, you don't think somebody like joining a new band is going to like ask a few details or something like, you know, it was kind of, I don't know. It was just, that was like a little silly to me. It was just like this guy, they got this guy, man, he must be really naive, you know, like. I Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about like, we, you know, it just seems to come up every time. And so far, it seems to be the reigning champ of movies that like I've watched on the podcast so far. Just, I just keep going back to Green Room. That's a movie that does indie touring accurately. And then that they got to fight Nazis. That was it. Yeah, that whole, like, up until the, you know, like the murder scene in Green Room, that was just like so, the, them waking, the beginning of the movie, them waking up in a cornfield, like, because they drove fell asleep and drove off the road and then ran out of gas. Like, it's just like all of the details of that movie were just like, down to like, they go to that guy's house and there's like a, Dillinger escape plan poster and they're listening yeah. to like you know like fucking crass or who I, I can't remember but it's it's all just like very you could tell they consulted people who do this shit you know whereas Not this <laughs> as a, yeah uh, American Satan it really feel it really felt like like a teenager's fantasy of what being a rock star is like it Absolutely. really the whole time I was thinking like it it was rock star starring Marky Mark <laughs> mixed mixed with like the devil's advocate or something you know what i mean it was just yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. it was just very yeah very like cliche we're gonna make it big we're gonna be rock stars and get lots of groupies and it's like first of all that's like not how it works anymore you know like that the whole like plot and like the way it played out just seemed like a fantasy that was like like i mentioned like guns and roses like from the beginning like them never playing together and then moving from wherever they were all at to California, to, to Hollywood, to live in a van together. Um, but then they have a rehearsal space somehow. Like yeah. they can't afford a place to live, but then they have this big spacious rehearsal space where like, I don't know like if anybody listening has like been to like LA or Hollywood or like played music out there, but it's, they don't like, it's expensive and there's not, like i don't know like if you if you wanted a space like that it's gonna cost so like that was kind of like hmm that's interesting well so. well we should run through the cast because you were talking you mentioned how it kind of ridiculous it is but i do also want to say it took me forever to watch this because it also just like runs through plots so fast in these scenes and it just goes yeah. and goes and goes and it's long it's like two hours long and it's so bad it just feels like it took ever to like get through it I wound it up did. stopping it earlier in the day and i finished it around like 8 30 in the evening <laughs> but yeah so this movie stars andy beersack i cannot fucking believe this guy's name is andy beersack as johnny faust uh he looks like the joker from suicide squad but at like quarter <laughs> quarter speed and like a lot less tattoos but he like has fucking batman tattoos and like a joker on his arm and shit yep just yeah. really corny. Very uh, joker-coded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the front man of Black Veil Brides in real life and was formerly known as Andy Six before just using his birth name. 
his singing voice in the movie is performed by Remington Leith of Palais Royale. Ah, whatever okay. that is that's i think that's another sumerian band but it, it definitely is so he didn't he didn't sing on the no which is weird because and he's a i'm singer. assuming his like vocals for black veil brides are just not what they needed for this that's uh yeah that's yeah. really a choice like you hire a singer of a band and then not like have his wow okay so add that to the list of like production nightmare decisions yeah okay <laughs> yeah cool. like he also just has like a very punchable face. Like I just want to like punch a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, he had like male model vibes. Like he was like smoldering for the camera a lot, you know, <laughs> where it's like, we get it, you're cute. Like just just let it let it go, you know. <laughs> then you got Malcolm McDowell as Mr. Capricorn just devouring the scenery in this movie. He kind of like straddles the line between like being so over the top it's good, but also like pretty fucking terrible yeah that was the one that that i I saw him like how they must have spent half of the budget for this movie just on getting him like alone like then you got john bradley aka samuel tarley from game of thrones as ricky rollins the manager of the the band the fictional band's name is the relentless which is not a very good band name uh he seems too nice to be a manager much Boo Boo so. Stewart as Vic Lakota, one of the two guitarists in The Relentless, and his guitar sound was provided by Lee McKinney of Born of Osiris. So there's <laughs> there's another production, weird production thing. Like, uh, is is Boo Boo from a band or is he just is he an actor? Do like he was uh, uh, that character was very stoner coded. Also, just like, he is very he obviously. is just an actor, so okay. that makes sense. Interesting. Okay, but then the guy from Born of Osiris played his guitar parts. Yeah, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, Then you got Mark Boone Jr. as Elias Collins. He's Bobby from Sons of Anarchy. And in this movie, he plays the head of Acadian Records. (laughs) Get it? Uh, Ben Bruce as Leo Donovan, another one of the guitarists in The Relentless. He is in Asking Alexandria. Jesse Sullivan, who plays a Lily Mayflower, the bassist of The Relentless. Olivia Culpo as Gretchen, Johnny's girlfriend. Sebastian Gregory as Dylan James, no relation, the drummer of The Relentless. Bill Goldberg, like, yeah, that Goldberg as Hawk, their later tour manager. Larry King in his final recorded appearance (laughs) before he died. (laughs) Bill Duke as Gabriel, the archangel, that's Mac from Predator, and he was also in Mandy, and he's been in a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Denise Richards as Johnny's mother, Ms. Faust. Uh, Tori Black as Cassandra, and then Drake Bell as Damian Collins. And uh, Drake Bell was I arrested earlier this year because of uh, he did some pretty fucked up shit. I, was he method acting like for this role or something? Like, is he on his Daniel <laughs> Day Lewis? Method shit? acting like, as himself being as, a giant piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, he is not a good guy. Nice. Uh, that was yeah. The the first one. I think my reaction to Goldberg. I did. Did anybody else react differently than like Goldberg? But well, yeah, I like was reading about it and like, oh, oh, oh haha, Goldberg. But then when he shows up, I was like, oh my god, Goldberg. Yeah. Like I just forgot. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a really good casting decision. I like the Goldberg. Um, he was all right. He yeah. was definitely more watchable and entertaining. And like, I would watch a movie about Goldberg playing a tour manager, like for yeah. a bunch of like wacky bands. Let's get him a spinoff for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
we have a soundtrack provided by Sumerian Records. There's actually two soundtracks. Uh, one of them is all the material by the fictional band, The Relentless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not going to go through all that. I definitely didn't listen to it. I didn't li- re-listen to the soundtrack at all because it was very audible in the movie. Yeah. And then there's the one consisting of the other band. So uh, this is based off of what I saw in the credits. There's a couple others at the end. So you got Palais Royale in this moment. I saw that band one time. I was at one of those like monster energy drink music festivals. And I was like, I guess I'll watch this band. And I was like, "Hmm, interesting. (laughs) Uh, Circa survive. I've got some friends who really like that band. It's never really been my thing, Um, Mm -hmm. but they're, but they're worlds away better than all most of the bands that were on this. I think Uh, the pretty reckless, AKA the Taylor Momsen band. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got a track from the black queen, which is a side project of Greg Pucciato from Dillinger escape plan, a band that I actually do like. Yeah. After the burial, Barnes Courtney with that fire song that was in a bunch of fucking commercials for a while. Jonathan Davis has a couple tracks. Slaughter. I saw Slaughter once though, and I actually really fucking liked it. They have like a drummer that just like attacks his drum kit. It's kind of insane. He like kicks the the cymbal and shit while he's playing. Sick. Um, Deftones, Danny Worsnop, whoever the fuck that is, crosses. I made, I made specific notes of the the, <laughs> yeah, the covers. <laughs> yeah, we we'll get to those. Bad Omens, Skid Row, and Asking Alexandria. There's also a Dillinger Escape Plan and a Nightwish song. And uh, <laughs> overall take, I just don't like this fa- this fucking soundtrack. There's not enough on it to make me ever want to listen to it. There's so much shit that I just don't want to listen to. No, not nah, none of that. None of that is going on any type of playlist of mine. I one of one of the main notes I wrote it in all caps was was speaking of Drake Bell from earlier when they murder Drake Bell the music during that scene it's I was like, like screaming I was cackling it's it was like so worst, funny oh my yeah it's like this dramatic orchestral big like timpani hits and I'm like and oh my god that that took me out amidst the like the soundtrack that you just were talking about to throw just throw that in there it really i was like rolling listening to that it was so bad like they're burning drake from drake and josh alive yeah that was definitely not as good as the uh the bus torching scene in barry i don't know if you watched barry um i haven't watched barry yet but i've heard good things i really i i finished it uh like a month ago and it like first two seasons real funny and like dark humor and goofy and then the last two seasons were like ow ow what my my soul like what the fuck (laughs) um but anyway yeah that that whole the music in that scene really just like took me out yeah so we'll we'll get into the 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 particulars of the movie here uh, a little more in depth it opens with a david bowie quote and the fictional band the relentless performing what appears to be this like big rocking gig and then there's another quote from Neil Young as Mark Boone Jr. as Elias is interviewed by a journalist regarding the nature of the band. So it's kind of an in medias ray sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just like a lot to unpack, like right off the bat. Uh, we see Johnny Faust, the front man on a Skype call with his bandmate, Leo. He's playing him a riff. He gets interrupted by Johnny's mom, Denise Richards. He compares himself to Steve Jobs and Walt Disney because they're fellow school dropouts. <laughs> yep. Okay. Like just coming in real, real, real headstrong here. Yep. Um, they're all the bands like still in college. They're gonna go to LA because obviously all their problems are gonna disappear when they go there. Of course. And meanwhile, in London, 
uh, the guitarist Leo is out with Ricky Rollins, Samuel Tali from Game of Thrones. He's the manager for the band. They're at a pub to recruit the drummer, uh, who's, you know, coincidentally and unfortunately named Dylan as well. They do so by telling him straight up his band sucks and deny him uh, any time to consider it. But I thought that was funny that you said that that was actually like somewhat accurate to be like, yeah, you're good. But your band sucks. The, <laughs> I mean, that's the, literally lines in the movie. Yeah, no the um the the act of doing that I think is definitely like not um not a new concept. But the way that they did like again to back to the dialogue, the way that they like approached him was just like so goofy. Like nobody talks to each other that way. You know what I mean? Like that's just it, the the way they went about it. It was just so. I, don't know, I, it was just I very mean, I silly imagine it's me, more you know? like it's got to be like a business. It's like, hey, you're really good you know, our drummer's leaving, would you consider like, you know, do you have any availability? Are you interested in doing it? Like, do you have the schedule? And it's like, oh, you know, whatever I'll see. It's not like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you piece of shit. You're never going to go anywhere unless you come with us. Like, cause we're cool guys. Like that's kind of how we even played together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was, that was like a, that was like a funny scene. Just like writing wise. It's like, interesting. Uh, so Johnny says goodbye to his mom, his girlfriend Gretchen, as he hits the road. Him and his big Lakota stop at the store to get some hooch. And they run into Bill Duke, the guy from Predator, and he asks Johnny to watch his guitar before he returns and says, "Perception is not reality. It's what you make it make of it, or some bullshit like that." They ignore his advice and go to get drunk before Malcolm McDowell shows up as Mr. Capricorn and asks them to ride around town with him. I get that Malcolm McDowell will do just about anything, but I feel like this part was not written for him. I feel like this part was written for somebody else and they like they and they weren't available. And so they were like, well, let's just get Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, I uh, I definitely got that impression, too. It was like too. He, he's got just like a very like serious commanding presence. And it was just like too whimsical. It was like silly. The character um, you ever seen the show uh, American Gods? Uh, no, like a Neil I yeah, yeah, I know what it is. I know what it is though. Yeah, they got um oh, what's the actor's name? Um I love the dude. He he plays Odin. He plays like the main guy. He's the lead actor from uh from Deadwood. Um I'm blanking oh, on Ian, his name. Uh, Ian McShane. Ian McShane. There we go. I I love that dude, but like I feel like he's who should have played or like somebody like that. It was like very like like a whimsical character and it just like didn't didn't quite hit, you know. Like he was kind of talking nonsense a lot of the time and it was just like but my, Malcolm McDowell though, you know. It's 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 like it's a role that I think like anybody could play really, but they thought oh he'll do it, but I'm like oh he's just like really cornered it up in this. Yeah. Uh, so the rest of the band arrives in L.A. and they promptly get into a fight because they've never gone on the road together, and turns out their only residence is a tour van, which Johnny and Vic burst out of, and any woes are quickly forgotten because the script said so. Uh, they also recruit. Lily as their bass player who demands a live audition. So we get to hear the relentless in action and I think their music sucks, but they all seem to be into it, which is what matters. They all explain they're going to have trouble resisting their primal urges, but still want her to join. I'd run personally, but she accepts the offer, which, you know, the way that the movie pans out makes sense, but like just real scum vibes from real, these guys, real like weird. real scummy. Real weird. Um, which I guess checks out. Um, give like this kind of stuff. Thinking they will all be as successful as Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses, they head to the Whiskey A Go Go and book a show eight weeks away, 
and they have to sell a bunch of tickets, which seems to be a foreign concept to everybody except for Lily. So <laughs> she's the, the only smart one here. They bump into Mr. Capricorn again on the street, asking for a cigarette, and he knocks all of their tickets on the ground, and he disparages them before saying he's been waiting for them for a long time. Like, that's the thing is he just says all this, so he's just like, what are you doing? Selling these tickets. And then he starts talking all professional and articulate, <laughs> and I've been waiting for you. So like, it's just so, it's, I don't know, it's a strange take. Very weird. <laughs> And he also asks Johnny if he has a pierced dick and says he is bringing some very important people to the show tonight and demands a spot on the guest list. Like, how many people do you have to deal with asking to get on the guest oh, list? Oh, you'd, you'd be surprised how many people grab me by the arm and whisper close to my ear, like, let me get on the guest list. Um, <laughs> no, like, no, it's, um, yeah, the, the the guest list asking thing is, is hilarious because it's like, oh, it's my friend's band. I'm going to get, like, if it's your friend, you should spend money but no honestly um i have good friends who don't like ask to get on the guest list all the time um and also like come mierda shows like we don't we don't have guest lists <laughs> you know like we're not right. we don't have a we don't have a rider like it's not that kind of not not like the like the touring where i get i get paid to to tour like that that's a little different but it's still well i mean you your know, yeah. your bandmate zach uh yeah. he does booking for saint vitus right yes and i'm assuming he probably gets that question a lot oh yeah i'm sure yeah i'm sure he has that word muted on all of his <laughs> social media <laughs> zach, um yeah zach does a lot of booking like he he works at saint vitus like you'll see him at the door like more often than not um but he does a lot of like uh, North Jersey and, and New York and stuff. Um, a lot of the stuff that they do at the meat locker and, you mm -hmm. know, so he's, he's definitely very active. I'm sure he would have, you know, a, an interesting perspective on this movie too. Uh, so Johnny picks up a job in a kitchen. He tells his girlfriend or, and his, his girlfriend tells him that she got accepted to UCLA. So she'll be out there soon. Then there's a montage of hard living in LA. They get a parking ticket, but people are swarming up to their merch booth with like wads of cash, like I, it, which baffles me. They're not that good. And yeah. they also start getting some uh, dirty looks from Damian Collins, AKA Drake Bell, who fronts Damian's Inferno, a similarly terribly named band. Like <laughs> Damian's, in, you know, I'm, I don't think we actually ever see what Damian's Inferno is. Uh, sounds like you never actually see them perform no i just can only imagine posters. i can only imagine it's like just really bad butt rock but like really heavy yeah they yeah he was like walking around with a bunch of dudes who were like full like neck tattoos and like you it was know like a guy wearing bell. one of them had like a punisher skull <laughs> and then trick bell with his quaff like yeah, yeah, that was that was so silly. Like, yeah, my one of my notes is just in all caps, like Drake Bell beef question mark question mark. Like, and again, that's the thing is that like if they're trying to be funny, like they're not doing a good job because this is all played extremely seriously. Like, oh my god, that guy wronged me, and it's like Jesus, give me a fucking break. Yeah. So they wind up making no returns on the shows, and they're broke. They go to Lily's place to freshen up. While working at Headline Records, Vic meets Elias, uh, the owner of Acadian Records, and he gives him the demo and he accepts it begrudgingly. The Relentless plays the Whiskey A Go Go show and then everybody leaves immediately because Metallica is doing a surprise show at the Roxy. <laughs> Just kidding. It's actually Damian Collins behind it to get their crowd over to his show. Uh, Elias also leaves, prompting Johnny to say, no, my favorite record label. Uh, as if we didn't know that. 
I think at this point, Lily tells Johnny that her ex band member Damien raped her the night she left the band, which is like, can we, can we like stop on that one for a minute? That one, like really, like I had to pause the shit when, when that happened. Cause it was like, I don't know how many people, you know, who have dealt with like any type of sexual assault or anything like that in your life. But nobody is just like somebody who you've known for like a couple of weeks. Like, Oh yeah, that guy rapes me. Just like, just so cavalier. Like the way she like delivered the line, it was like, Oh yeah, he's a bad person. He raped me. And then this happened. It was like, dog, like you they, can tell they that offered they... no weight to that moment at all. And it was no. like, do you know human beings in your life? Like, you know, it was that, no, this that was... really took me out. <laughs> No, this was not delivered with any kind of like grace or sensitivity. It's just so you can tell that the person who wrote the movie just like did not understand like or did not even want to like spend the time like considering like just the ramifications around it. And it's like it's sort of just used as like a motivational thing, which is like even more like fucking weird. Yeah. And then they're like absolved of it that they, they like killed him. Like, Oh, he's the rapist. Like they killed him. So they're good guys. And like, that's part of the movie. Meanwhile, the rest of the movie is treating like the female characters, like real crazy, either as like completely hopeless and disposable or like bad people or just like, like cock hungry gold digger, you know, like there's no real positive portrayal of women in this movie. So like, I feel like they added that in there. It, it was not slick the way that they did that. Like, <laughs> no, I don't, it was, I, no. Political, like weird political undertones, like social undertones of this movie that were not subtle at all kind of rubbed me the wrong way a lot. You know, like that was like the, well, that was like the first thing that, that really kind of took me out. There's you know? more of that, like coming up right after this. So mm-hmm. Capricorn shows up again. And also in the sequence, clearly is not saying any of the dialogue he said on the set. It's all very like obviously 80 yard and it's so bad. Like I thought like, Oh, maybe my like audio is not synced up fully. Like, no, it's just terrible ADR. And you can tell that there's just like not money spent on that kind of stuff. Like it's just so it's amateurish. It's really bad. Like it's just so badly made. Anyway, he coaxes Ricky into saying that he's basically the devil by gently caressing his face before he leads the band minus Lily into uh, the Rainbow Club. Uh, Bill Duke is there again saying crazy shit, and then they sit down to broker a deal. I found out that apparently at the top of the stairs of the Rainbow Bar and Grill, there's now a poster for American Satan, which is really depressing. That They should take that down. <laughs> they should. That place does not need that movie to add no. to its rich history. <laughs> so Capricorn yeah. explains that he's hooked up a bunch of rock and pop stars before, suggesting that Iron Maiden, Van Halen, the Rolling Stones all made allusions to the devil because they were like got like a deal from the devil. Then he busts out the fucking eye in the pyramid like on the dollar bill to which Johnny quickly points out that it's the Illuminati and like the new world order and shit like that. So yeah, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, are you about to show me the $20 bill world trade center trick too? Yeah. Doesn't he mention like Jay-Z too? He's like Kanye and Jay-Z with the, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's so bad. It's so bad. Capricorn suggests holding a ritual to make them intentional in sorry, I guess intentional, but international icons. The catch, human sacrifice. Johnny calls his mom and in a move straight out of the room, she reveals that she has cancer all of a sudden. Like, 
very weird. I also just feel like Dog. this scene played out like he was talking to his girlfriend. It being Denise Richards is really strange. Yeah. Then Damien shows up to be a little dipshit, says he's going to fuck Johnny's mom's face and other lewd comments. And, you know, he drops the F slur. And so the Relentless just wind up kidnapping him into their van, bind and gag him, douse the van in gas. And Johnny tosses a match on the gas trail and the van goes up in a blaze as he, as he goes. Let him burn. He calls it, he does these like weird Batman vocals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ricky takes off and then Johnny's like, I can't do this. Picks up the keys and says, Johnny, what? What are you doing? We came here to play music, not God. Which is such an awful line and opens the door for Damien. And this is all for naught as Damien jumps onto an electrified fence and dies conveniently. True colors will always fade in the right light. Electrifying performance, gentlemen. When opportunity knocks, make sure you answer. Oh my god. Didn't they have a gun? Did they have it? Was there a gun in this situation? Did somebody have a gun? I don't know. That, yeah, I don't. That, just that whole. A gun and the music. No, no, it was just the music. A gun does show up. A gun does show up eventually. Uh huh. So uh, the boys return to Lily's apartment looking like 10,000 tons of shit and get a call from Elias the next day who asks him to come in for a meeting. He asks if they know what happened to Damien Collins, who was found dead and burnt in the valley. Uh, turns out he had killed two people drunkenly, which Elias tells that story again. He also says that uh, his dad, like he just makes this mention of his dad being a big wig lawyer. Uh, anyway, he offers them a $200,000 advance, uh, which Johnny and co promptly signed. The band wants to also put up some money for Johnny's mom uh, for her cancer treatment, which is nice. And he's like, oh, I don't know, or something like that. Elias grills Johnny to improve his singing. And also in this scene, he's like naked for some reason. Like, I, I didn't understand that, like. It was kind of funny to see more. I, I like Mark Boone Jr. I think he's a good character actor. He's really good at playing disgruntled guys. And I did think it was kind of funny when he just goes, okay, we get it. You have a beautiful body, but can you actually like do something here? <laughs> he, he's trying, but he unfortunately is not enough to like save this movie. Nah, uh, he, his character definitely was like the deliverer of some of the, like the worst lines too. He just- A lot of exposition. Yeah. <laughs> So Johnny nails the vocals and then they got to work on a name for the album. So they say some of their favorite album titles like Appetite for Destruction, Let It Be, Shout at the Devil, Injustice for All, Evil Empire. So which, you know, they mentioned like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and that like and uh, the Rolling Stones. So, you know, the clearly all these rock bands have made a deal with the devil uh, in order to succeed uh, I guess it's not surprising that like possibly Metallica's in there, but are they suggesting that like Rage Against the Machine is also uh, in cahoots with the devil? 
Yeah, that's You're mentioning Eva Umpire. It's kind of a uh that seems like not was uh, that part of the Tom Morello beef? Uh <laughs> oh maybe, maybe. Who knows? Then yeah. Ricky shows up and he's like, Oh, I love back in black. Um, <laughs> I don't know why he has such like a fun British accent to do. <laughs> I think it's like anybody could do it. It's kind of hush, just like, oh yeah, it's not easy to do my voice. Ha <laughs> ha. He had some soul searching to do after the murder. After the and, murder, yeah. And then they pitch American Satan and they go with it. Their music video gets a buttload of views in the few hours that it's up. And then they get to go on tour with Static Sunrise, which is like some kind of has been burnt out rock band. And they basically wind up usurping them of their uh, all of the uh, audience and even their VIP ticket holders. And at a hotel one night on tour, a groupie's mother shows up looking for her daughter. Ricky tries to ward her off before she finds the party room where half the band is fucking what is revealed to be 17-year-old girls. Not 16-year-old girls because, you know, the movie can't go that far. But, like, I don't This is just, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the girl like gets on like a new, like grabs the reporter's mic and is like, I liked it. I wanted to be there. Like, dog. As the I mother's like, we're going to press rape charges. And she's like, no, it's amazing. Like, they just conveniently get off on. on Guys, you're not slick, slick, slipping this in the movie like that. Like, you're not slick. Like, that does not, that does not send a good message. Like, that whole, nope. the whole glossing over of the literal statutory rape in the, in that scene by the bass player lily and but the fact that it was like by the the female bass player too and she was like playing it off like just like the way that they decided to add these like sexual and this is not the last one either oh no 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 not no. the last gets, one either it, oh no it, it gets worse johnny goes back home briefly which was confusing and then his like mom is just cleared of her like just conveniently <laughs> like just gone oh by the way uh, and then at like a live show, Lily gets in front of a camera and says, we need less guns, more sex, less war, more music, and more fucking sex. And then the band gets thrown off the tour by Static Sunrise because they're a bunch of burned out has-beens and a really lame fight breaks out. And then the relentless smash Static Sunrise's trailers windshield with their guitars. The strategically John placed rack yeah. of being MLs just right in front of the van. <laughs> Johnny rolls in with his girlfriend and mom and gets the bad news that uh, they've been, you know, kicked off the tour. Elias finds out that they've been kicked off by Static Sunrise, who are apparently woke and take a lot of issue with them having sexual affairs with the young women, which seems not really in line with the kind of band they are, given like what no. those kinds of bands seem to be like in real life. But I was like, okay, somebody's like, somebody has like a decent take here, I suppose. Yeah. And then Elias is just like, I don't give a shit about any of that crap. Like says something pretty fucked up. I don't remember what the line was. Yeah. The Johnny gives a heartfelt goodbye to his girlfriend. And then they find out that because of all this bullshit that happened uh, and that all of the, for some reason, positive response the band is getting, despite them being a bunch of like lecherous creeps, they're being upgraded to a theater tour with a bus and tour manager, aka Bill Goldberg, who Goldberg. plays hard. <laughs> when shit hits the fan, I'm the fan. I'm the fan. Yeah, that was that was a good line. I like that, Goldberg. <laughs> so on tour, the band winds up getting protested by the church, uh, and the county shuts down their one of their shows as a result. They head to another bar instead to play, which is like a redneck country rock bar they draw the ire of some of the patrons who sling homophobic insults at them which prompts 
Uh, also, woke Goldberg to demand an apology via fists, and a huge fight breaks out. But this fight honestly looked like shit. It was like not a very convincing fight. <laughs> no, it was it was very not. That was it was just... a bunch of old guys like rolling around basically. Lily also like stomps on the lead bigot's crotch wearing boots made out of I'm not really sure what. <laughs> yep. After just, like burnt rubber. After and Johnny then... like stabbed the dude in the neck with a bottle or something, right? Like Yeah, he winds up stabbing this guy in the head with a bottle and gets goes to jail because of it and gets a really high ba- uh, bail. And then on a News 13 interview, Elias explains that the album title is not The American Satan. It's just American Satan. And that there's and there's also a subtitle that says it's the number one trending album on Twitter, which I thought was really funny. I think it would make more sense if it were the number one trending album on whatever Twitter is now. But this scene is terrible. It's just an awful back and forth between like a talking head and Mark Boone Jr. And it's really bad commentary on like perceptions of like the media and the news. And Elias has just been like, he's like, yeah, you just don't really understand what this band's about. And we're putting together a big rock festival to gather funds for Johnny. And we're also sending a message to all the bigots in the world until they're shitting pentagrams. <laughs> like what? I, I Like this movie has very confusing messages. Very silly. It's very like incoherent ideology of like a 14 year old who like found out about metal two years ago. It's like one thing to be like an atheist, right? Like to not believe in shit, but then like being like an like an anti-theist. Like oh, like, like, the, almost, like the the people that like philosophize about like why you can't believe in God. Yeah, and it's just like it's like, I don't have like this like that. incel energy of like like yes. oh oh God doesn't like want to fuck me. Like you know, it's just really goofy. It's just like just if you don't believe in God, like let it go. Like I personally don't like I'm not religious, but like be I don't know, being an anti-theist is kind of goofy and like that the movie kind of had a little bit of that. And I feel like there was a, there was like a, a bit of like monologue that Johnny had while he was in jail talking to somebody about like, about specifically that, like about being like anti-church or, and what it just like was very kind of silly and like immature to me, you know? Look, I think I, I like being honest, like there's a way to do this movie. That's like interesting. It's just not how they did. They decided to do it. No. So then there's like this awful black and white sequence that exists solely for exposition, courtesy of Mr. Capricorn, who basically says like, what's going to happen in the rest of the movie. Johnny's not found guilty. And he says, God bless America on his way out of the courthouse. He buys his extremely tan mom a house in on Mulholland drive. They get some sweet rides in a pool. And then Lily takes them to a satanic sex club that the quote unquote elite use and get all access to the ladies. Ricky loves this. He's snorting and eating cocaine and getting all riled up, offering just like bundles of money and gigs to all the women. And then, man, I don't know. This this felt so insensitive too. Like Lily just starts shooting up with heroin with Johnny set to one of the most out of control things I've ever heard. This like slow wayfish cover of mother by fucking danzig oh my god no that yeah that whole scene this um, is the sexy time heroin scene music the yeah that that was definitely a choice um for the sexy time heroin scene also just that scene was just so like that one i was like throwing my hands up at the at the at the ceiling like he johnny has been 
basically abstaining from like partying that hard like all those like scenes where they're all fucking the groupies and stuff he's like not right because he's, no, he's like, like talking to gretchen yeah he's talking time. to gretchen he's, he's, he's good, not really being a good partner yeah he's not being um he's not doing drugs he's like not drinking a lot then he's sitting next to lily who's got no shirt on she got titties out shooting up heroin and then he just like does it with the tiniest little bit of like oh no you should do it you should do it after this whole time he's been abstaining right to like the quickness of the turn from like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm just here for the music and I'm gonna, I'm dedicated to my girlfriend and I'm not, then to just like, oh, I'm gonna do heroin and now I'm gonna fuck my bass player. And that- who, who The movie tells you is a lesbian first, but then it's like, oh no, it's just bisexual and just, I don't know. Like this just kind of has like, feels like the trope of like anyone who's not straight is of questionable moral, uh, yeah. you know, moral stature or whatever. That and like the whole, like, you can't have girls in your band because see, yes. this is what happens. It's like, the, you know, it's just very unserious. And then the worst line of the whole movie, the one that made me cringe the heart I wanted to die is at when they're they're fucking and Johnny's girlfriend calls him. So, so oh my god, she, this was she turns she turns the phone on and has on speaker while they're fucking. I thought says, she oh. was just gonna turn it over. I thought she was gonna turn it over. No, she answers the phone so they can hear she can hear them fucking. And I'm like, oh my god. So so that and then he says, oh, I'm about to come, and she says, shoot in me, and like I I wanted to like I wanted to like like throw myself into a black hole like oh my god shoot in me like like who wrote that line like oh my god like that was the worst most porn brained shit i've ever seen so yeah so his girlfriend hears there's porn that is better uh executed than this yeah no shoot shoot in me shoot in me took me the fuck out i, was I mean done. would it would it surprise <laughs> you if i told you that this was written by ash avildsen <laughs> and no. maddie beckerman whoever that is uh, uh, but I, I yeah i mean ash with their mothers i, I want to talk to their mothers um <laughs> uh yeah so that that whole scene very like lot of lot of just like red flags in that scene totally not just like like morally or whatever but just like that's where the plot's going that's all right oh definitely yeah. morally for sure yeah, but just 100%. like just the way that this movie plays out like i thought it was going to play out a little differently and i was very surprised so as yes. a result of johnny defending himself on stand your ground terms when he stabbed the the bigoted redneck. See, I think it's funny that like they they stand up in the in the face of racism, but they're totally okay with like cheating and like you know treating women poorly and all that. Like no bigotry, but we're totally going to be sexists. Yeah, a hundred percent. So because of him standing his ground, it inspires fans of the Relentless to start standing up to their bullies. And this is like, you know, a guy being beaten up like in the locker, which those looked like those guys were like 25. And yep. I'm like, why are you fighting in a high school? And then also just like a bunch of bros like doing a weird hazing thing. And like then one of them just stabs the guy in the neck with a corkscrew. I was like, well, that's kind of extreme. Yep. Uh, this becomes a global phenomenon. And like whatever commentary that's being attempted here is, again, just like really bad. Yeah, Capricorn shows back up and says that they can't stop. 
This is when we find out that the Beatles did some work with the devil, and so did Apple, like the company <laughs> Apple, because the first like computer your boy Steve cost, Jobs. <laughs> yeah, like Apple, the first Apple computer cost six hundred and sixty-six dollars, and it has a bite taken out of it, like the Forbidden Fruit, and I'm just like, God, fuck off. <laughs> also, like. Can we just talk about the just like incoherent like Bible symbology going on in this whole movie? Like it's not like my my impression. Like I, I don't know. I it's just like a lot of it. I feel like they were doing using this like religious symbolism, but like not. Well, it's it is Faust. It's about temptation proper. and all. That. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It just like seemed like I don't know. It was it was weird. It was weird to me. It, it well, it should be weird to everybody. It's just like everything about it is just really, really like clumsily done. So, also the the last three digits of the zip code in which Mr. Capricorn found them are six, six, six. Like mm-hmm. it's just like just stop. Well, Topeka, Kansas, right? Yeah, like that was yeah. Ugh. He also spills the beans on Johnny hooking up with Lily and reveals that Ricky has choked on his vomit and died. Johnny goes home. His mom knows about him cheating on Gretchen. And then uh, Vic finds out that he and Lily have to go on CNN for an interview. Just after dropping acid. (laughs) Just after dropping acid. And also there's this line is up there with what you said before. She defends what the Relentless fans are doing because, quote, we didn't respond to 9-11 with peace and prayer. We responded by doing everything we could to stop those people from hurting us again. And I was like, wow. That was a bad take, satire or not. <laughs> that that really was. Yeah, that just that like those things, that little detail and like the whole like stand your ground being like a like plot line, like just very weird political ideology sneaking where it's like not even like coherent. Like they're really trying to say something specific. It's just like like why you're trying to be edgy, but yeah, in different edgy. directions. It's, it's like edgy and and even though it's like valuing like your freedom and independence it's definitely like leaning towards like right-wing nonsense a hundred percent yeah because i mean what is like the you know the like you say stand your ground what's like the cultural understanding like people think of like trayvon martin you know what i mean like that's just like really coded you know um and like yeah i just really really didn't like that under the undertones of this movie like in that like politically socially it's just very at times incoherent and then at times just real like I don't like this. I don't agree with it, you know? So Leo makes a speech at Ricky's funeral, uh, which features some weird dissolved cuts, and the band agrees to move on to a world tour. Johnny is also begging Gretchen to forgive him before he just gives in to all forms of temptation and debauchery. They're on world tour with a legion of fans, kind of like Death Clock, like in terms of like support and fervor. Coke is getting snorted off titties. There's a lot of sex and a lot of flags in the audience that just looks kind of questionable. Leo also breaks down on the plane over Rich, Ricky, Richie, uh, Samuel Tolly, and a yeah. lot of snot comes in and out of his nose. Like, just <laughs> like, I was like, damn, that is gnarly. Uh, at a gig in Las Vegas, Johnny is overdosing while the crowd in the venue is going apeshit. Goldberg's yelling, 16 people got injured the last time a headliner canceled. So Elias says to just shoot him up, and there is a needle conveniently found right next to him, which they use. Goldberg injects him with that. The Relentless go on stage. Then they get onto their bus. A woman who bought VIP tickets wants her daughter to go onto the bus with the band to meet them. And I think we all know what that essentially entails. Goldberg says no phone or cameras and she gets on board. And, you know, just this is all just a bad take coming up. 
And the daughter asks Johnny to take her virginity while the mom hooks up with the drummer while snorting coke. And then they later learn that the girl's dad killed himself because of the mother having sex with the drummer. Lily yeah. walks, yeah. And then Lily walks <laughs> in on the bang session and asks, looking for God in the back of the tour bus and joins in. And you see like a trickle of blood running down the daughter's leg. And I was like, that's fucking gross. Like, yeah, that that shot that, specifically uh, infuriating. Yeah, whole situation real real gross. I just like coming back to just like the all of the female characters in this movie just being gross or like completely useless and helpless. Like like Johnny's mom the whole time just, when just things they're just he, things. He, she looks at his arm and sees the track marks of him doing heroin. She's like, oh no, I always let you do whatever you want. This is terrible. And like his girlfriend just like letting him do all this fuck shit, you know, and like, oh, you're going to move to Hollywood for your shitty band. Like, great, dude, you know, and it's just the and that scene, especially, especially like the mom being a, a like a literal groomer, the daughter, like trying to go fuck Johnny and then Lily coming in the room and, and like, doing so <laughs> being. Yeah. And, and no, nah, it's just like very. Like, Ash, we got to talk about your relationship with women, dog. Like, you, <laughs> and then, I like, think you the, need to see somebody. And like, then, like, the daughter walks in on the drummer just, like, railing her in the ass. Like, uh, it's just, it's wild. That whole scene was just very, very uncomfortable. I did not enjoy that. That, all of this, to me, screams, like, problematic and a lot of red flags. So, Johnny and Lily sit down with Elias and find out that they have a headline offer for Hellfest. California, not like Hellfest in France. Um, <laughs> but the rest of the band's angry, and so the rest of the tour gets canceled. Turns out Johnny and Lily fucked the Nage Verge indeed and are both very strung out on heroin. So he sends them to Malibu to detox. Johnny calls Gretchen and leaves a message professing his love to her. Capricorn is back and says he's going to give Johnny a gun while performing at Hellfest, and he's going to have a mentally unstable man approach him, and then he's going to shoot him as part of the show. And Capricorn says, Religion separates humanity. The music to bring us together. We are our own gods, and we must look inside ourselves for answers. What? Oh my God! And I think Johnny goes. Religion does separate. It created you, and I have my own free will. He doesn't. No. So Capricorn <laughs> chews him out for not being truthful to all the women in his life before disappearing to more Hans Zimmer music. We get the soft version of "Freak on the Leash." Uh, as another Johnny, weird cover, <laughs> yeah, another fucking weird cover. As Johnny messes up a phone call from Gretchen and then stalks upstairs to shoot up again. Then Johnny dies, making all the headlines and narrated by Malcolm McDowell. Bill Duke shows up and injects a very small needle into Johnny, who wakes up in a hospital with Gretchen there. She says he overdosed, and then his mom shows up, and Gretchen leaves because she's smart. Elias shows up to espouse some advice, and then Johnny goes to be a yogi to get clean and straighten up all of this happens before hellfest this didn't happen at hellfest this all happens right before it i guess uh yeah. they they get there lily's not there and it's almost showtime also johnny's mom is there with her new boyfriend who coincidentally is uh mr capricorn johnny tells hawk to take her to the sound stage and there's this exchange of dialogue how fucking dare you i fucking dare you i was like good uh, Capricorn agrees to leave her alone if they perform well, and he gives his all-access pass to Bill Duke. He gives Johnny some stage advice, which is something like, you are the storm, that sounds like some fucking QAnon MAGA bullshit. 
Elias drags Lily up. But in a really weird twist, Malcolm McDowell reveals that he's also Lily and that he's like basically been fucking Johnny the whole time. And I this was odd. Yeah, um, that was weird. That I didn't I didn't really understand that. I mean, like, I understand what they're trying to do. And no, I didn't understand it. That's very strange. <laughs> very, very strange. Uh, the curtains pull back and Johnny pulls a gun to his head, then points it at Capricorn and shoots him because he's the mentally unstable man. But it's all a twist because Malcolm McDowell tells us so and Johnny finds himself in handcuffs in an interrogation room as a journalist asks him what drove him. He goes off about organized religion and says we are all brothers and sisters and the only things that touch people are sex and violence. And he's talking about Einstein and dark energy and the devil Incel coming back. anti-theism. Like, that's he just, just goes so crazy. Goofy. <laughs> And Elias in an interview says that the copycat killings were tragic, but ultimately Johnny's actions had a positive effect on society because suicides and mass killings have dropped. What? Johnny and Bill Duke, the prison guard, AKA Gabriel, the fucking archangel make friends. Leo goes on Larry King with Lily to talk about Johnny. And like, I love that this fucking horseshit excuse of a band is important enough to go on Larry fucking King for an interview. Lily says the devil is what drives our impulses. And Leo says that the guy being shot on stage was a great way to sell records. The only person who could get Johnny back on stage is Gretchen who visits him in prison. And he basically gets off scot-free for everything he's done. Cheating, the violence, everything. His lawyer is Damien's father. And Gretchen says two against one, better odds. So I'm thinking like we're here at the end that there's going to be this twist that this like all happened in his mind or was like an acid trip or something like that. But nope, I think it's very strongly suggested that everything that happened to this is real. And the only way it happened is because the devil lets you get away with things. And so it just like justifies all of the things that happened in this movie. And like, you know, if it's not, and this is supposed to be interpreted as Johnny being fucking crazy or something, like, I don't care. I think this is some bad, lazy fucking writing. And like, I hated this movie so much. And they end with like, yeah, and it's like two against one. And then like, he breaks the fourth fourth wall and looks into the camera. And then like, like, it blacks out. I was like, what? And there's all these quotes of metal dudes like Ozzy and Angus saying that like, they're possessed on stage. And I think like Ash Appleton is just waiting way too hard into those comments. Like well, the, the Ozzy one, it was like, sometimes I think like the, the devil's in control of me. And it was, and it was credited as 1984. You know how much cocaine Ozzy was doing in 1984. He probably felt possessed by a, a couple of different people. All right. Like, yo, very, yeah, very likely. <laughs> but yeah, oh. uh, I, I felt kind of drained after watching this movie honestly it was it's so long it was hard to get through it was very tolling on me for for me like honestly the the touring rock band aspect of it was like the last thing i was thinking about and criticizing and like it was really like the whole like i don't know it's this movie really really threw me for some loops um (laughs) yeah i i hated it i thought it was terrible uh if avelson is going for satire parody like i just think he failed uh, again it's just like such an excuse to like justify a life of excess and indulgence especially if you're like a skinny white male you could just get away with anything because apparently the devil's got your back so yeah it just it, it's just fucking terrible and like you know even from like a technical aspect like the writing's awful the acting is bad the cinematography is bad the sound editing is bad it looks slapped together it's very like it's too crisp just despite being the son of the guy who directed rocky he has none of his fucking talent 
Yeah, that that's an interesting tidbit. That that kind of like puts some of the pieces together for how this dude who runs this label is able to make a movie like this. You know, like very very interesting. So there's also a TV continuation of this, and uh, it's called Paradise City, and it has even more Sons of Anarchy people in it. <laughs> Mr. Is this Beers. is this still like a uh, it's a Sumerian production? It's like it's yeah, same. it's a, it's a Sumerian productions. Like Ash Avildsen's literally in it, like as a character. Oh my god! Um, it's called Paradise City, mm-hmm. and it's got uh, Mr. Beersack is back along with Ben Bruce and Boo Boo Stewart. But the uh, but drummer Dylan, not me, not me, is replaced by James Caselis of Asking Alexandria. So now I think there's two people from Asking Alexandria and in, in this. Great. And Bella Thorne takes over the role of Lily, which kind of seems like it would have gone the opposite way, but okay. And also in the series, Mark Boone Jr. is back. Drea De Mateo, aka Adriana from Adriana, kids in it. She was also on Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> uh, Ryan Hurst, who played Opie, also on Sons of Anarchy. Faruza Balk, uh, you know from The Craft. Yeah. Oh, uh, for real? She's yeah. in. Yeah. Come on. Uh, Come on, Miss Balk. <laughs> Eva Marie, pro wrestler, plus musicians Hobson as Gabriel, Randy Blythe from Lamb He's, of God. Wait, Hobson's Gabriel? Yeah, he replaces Bill Duke as Gabriel. I'm not does familiar with his, him. Does he have his contacts? Oh, you, oh, you haven't seen this? No, Hobson is like a really corny rapper. Oh, my God. Okay. Like, like uh, anyway, yeah, well, that's that's a whole other area to talk shit about. Where um, uh, Sid Wilson, the turntablist from Slipknot, is in it. Uh, Nita Strauss, uh, the guitar player. Mm-hmm. Juliet Sims from Automatic Love Letter, who I think might be married to Andy Beersack. Oh yeah, Beersack. That's a great name. I bet he was like real. Like he had to have been in the fraternity. He had to have been like, hey, yo, Beersack. Like he had to. Have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, his spouse is Juliet Sims from Automatic Love Letter. What is an automatic love letter? That's a love letter that's automatic. Uh, Matt Pinfield from who you know, radio host Matt Pinfield, Jim Ross, uh, the wrestling commentator, and uh, Kel and Quinn of Sleeping with Sirens, and more than a few YouTube and internet personalities. You know, whoever's oh. free in LA. So oh, I'm going to no. be avoiding that like the fucking. Player. So they got like influencers on the show too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, Boy. whoever's available. So. Yeah, say I'll be uh, tuning in for that. I, I'm sorry, Ash. <laughs> hard pass, hard pass. <laughs> now that we've gotten through that fucking mm. nonsense, uh, <clears throat> have you watched anything good recently? Let's see. Uh, have I watched anything good recently? Um, or at least worth talking about? I've been busy, so I haven't had a chance to like go to the movies to see any of the like what Twitter is calling like movies for grownups being back, you know, like <laughs> Oppenheimer and Barbie. And uh, I know there's like a bunch that are supposed to come out. I'm really excited for um, killers of the flower moon. And what's the one there's the, the one with Emma stone that's coming out soon. Oh yeah. Like, really that, surreal. That really weird movie. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, real like... surreal and cool. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a, a bunch of stuff I'm excited about. I actually um, know, like I know like one of the people in that, like from back in the day. Oh, sick. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Do you, um, do you, have you watched Rami or know of Rami Yosef? No, no. He's one of the actors in the movie. We actually went to like a Rotary Club thing together like years ago when we were in high school. Interesting. That's cool. Just like a weird small world uh, coincidence. So, well, I mean, I guess like maybe then like what was like the last thing you watched that you thought was like good? 
Uh, well, I mentioned Barry earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really into that series. Thought that was really good. I had seen it earlier when it came out, but I just rewatched it again recently. Um, and I'm like obsessed with this movie. Um, the House That Jack Built. I don't know if you've seen oh. that one with, with Matt Dillon. Is that a William Friedkin movie? I, I'm not sure. Oh, no, it's a oh, Lars von Trier. It's, yeah, it's von Trier. Yeah. So, yeah. So the very controversial Lars von Trier. Yeah, he's he's got yes. some like really intense movies. Um, yeah, but, I've seen a few of them. Yeah. Or I think I've, I think I've seen two of them. What, um, what would you see? I've seen I watched Europa, I think, or, or whatever, like or Zentrope. I, I don't remember. I, I think it's called Europa. And I, I liked that one. And I watched Antichrist, which I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. Anti, yeah, Antichrist. I mean, was, it was not a pleasant viewing experience regardless. Oh, no. Yeah, that one's uh, very like uncomfortable. That like, yeah, that one's that one's gnarly. Um, but yeah, uh, House that Jack Built is really ha- have you seen it? Like, do you know? No, I haven't you know seen it. it? I, I've heard about it. I, I remember like when it came out really like stylish um there's like this kind of it's not like narration it's like a conversation between the main character and somebody else who they don't really like divulge right away Mm -hmm. um that's kind of like like you know narrating the the movie but um it's basically about matt dillon who's like a an amateur serial killer and he's like really he's not good at it like he's kind of like really mediocre, but he mm-hmm. keeps like lucking out and not getting caught. Um, and he's like kind of like sees himself as this like grand supreme being, and he's like to- like a total narcissist. But he's actually kind of a dumbass. Like he does a lot of like <laughs> like leaves a lot of clues, like fucks up really bad, but like lucks out and like like he's like a like like most like famous serial killers, just like an average looking white guy with glasses like very mild-mannered boring Mm -hmm. looking you know but it's just like this really um this cool like view of this guy who's like sort of a a microcosm like he's like an example of like a regular guy in some ways even though he's like a serial killer but it's it's just like a really cool movie that that like affected me a lot you know like the the way that his like psyche is kind of on display in this movie um there's like some like found footage kind of mixed in and like like documentary footage and like it's just kind of, it's it's kind of weird but um like a really cool look at like the mind of a killer mm-hmm. and then there's like the horror aspect of it where he's like there's it's gory and like he's he's putting together these uh I don't want to give any spoilers cuz it's like a really cool movie the way it develops but he's like a monster but kind of a dumbass you know like he kind of he kind of sucks and there's parts of the movie that are really humorous in like a like how can i even be laughing at this kind of way you know what i mean like yeah 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 yeah. so that one yeah very very into that one we mentioned green room that's like one of my current like favorite movies i've seen in a long time obviously you mentioned mandy before Mm -hmm. uh i love i love panos cosmatos his that one and Beyond the Black Rainbow is really awesome. I haven't um, seen that one yet. So I've seen Mandy, and I've seen the episode of the Guillermo del Toro show that he did, which I thought was really fucking good. I thought that, that was, was the, the best, best thing he's done. Yeah. That was the best one, totally. That yeah. was the best of that anthology series. But Beyond the Black Rainbow is way more, like, vibey. It's more, um, it's a little more experimental. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like, like Mandy is a little bit, it's not like Beyond the Black Rainbow is hard to follow, but it's just, like, less... Uh, 
like structured, you know, it's kind of yeah, like yeah, a yeah. little bit, a little weirder, but uh, definitely, definitely like that one. I've been watching a lot of King of the Hill lately, so <laughs> not not a whole lot. That of That guy just passed away, uh, Dale, right? The yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, P. That that's uh, that's such a such a cool show. Like, you know, it's I'm never a show that I watched uh, religiously because, like, I went through a Simpsons phase uh, mm -hmm. for a while, and I I never really like wrote it off. Um, and I would always, but it was never a show I watched willingly. I always would like be like, oh, it's on. And then I would watch it like, this is really funny. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a show that I, it was kind of like Seinfeld. I never went out of my way to watch it. But if it was on, I would like watch it and be like, this is actually really funny. Yeah. I think a lot of people just didn't get like what it was like going for. Cause it is just like kind of portrayed as like this like rural conservative, you know, environment. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the the jokes definitely can like fly over some people's head, you know, like it's like the the commentary that they're making in the show, like, mm -hmm. it's like a lot of like actual like issues that they kind of like look at from the lens of just this like regular guy from Texas. And but yeah, that's it's a cool show. It's that's one that I I'd never really watched like all the way through, but I just always thought it was funny. I'd seen it on TV. So I'm just like kind of going through. I feel like one that like what you mentioned, like you were kind of always aware of it and like if it was on but never really got into it. Um, for me, Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> oh, is, man, I used to watch it. was after The Simpsons. That's got to be one of my favorite, like, sitcom type show. I didn't, I slept on that when I was younger. I didn't watch it until, I don't know, like a year, like a year ago, I think. And me and my partner watched it. And we were like, this show is so, like, well-written. It's funny. Like, I don't know. I, I'm a Malcolm in the Middle stan. <laughs> it's, like, weird because it's got, like, good writing, but it also has like a lot of it's a lot of sight gag humor. Mm -hmm. Plus, you have like you know pre Breaking Bad Cranston on it, and he's yeah, great as the dad. Over the top performance from him, like every episode, he's just like so goofy. But yeah, that's that's a, that's a fun show that was like under my radar for so long. You know. Uh, so I have watched recently. I watched the Dio documentary Dreamers Never Die, and I thought it oh, was cool. really good. Dio was metal to the end. Uh, I also watched Jason X, which is absolutely one of the most chaotic movies in the oh, world. Oh, man. Jason That's X the one is in space, space, right? In space, baby. Oh, my God. That movie is <laughs> I just, I remember my favorite scene from that shit is when there's, like, the hologram of, like, the camp girls trying to seduce him. And it just, like, cuts and then cuts back to him. And he's got them both in sleeping bags, just, like, smashing them against each other. I mean, like, it does have, like, the, the liquid nitrogen or whatever it is where he like freezes the girl's head and then crushes it. It looks, it Pretty does look death. really cool, but my God, that movie is insanely corny and stupid and yep. ridiculous, but I kind of loved it. That one and Freddy versus Jason just really like take uh, the I slasher like cheese. <laughs> I don't like Freddy versus Jason. It's, Goofy. I think it's really bad. I would rather watch Jason X. Um, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> I'm continuing on with trying to watch all the major slasher movies. So I watched, cool. uh, so that includes Jason X and I watched Hellraiser 7 Debtor, which is Ooh. another entry in the, this was another movie before they slapped Pinhead on it. And it handles sexual assault very poorly, kind of like uh, American Satan. And there's Eesh. a child present in a sex party subway sequence where you see a man's junk. So, like, that one was not good. That was bad. That, that was sounds weird. Bad, a bad one. Um, I'm not squeamish about sex scenes, but that's a little, you know. Well, <laughs> well, look, there's sex scenes that are actual, you know, scenes of sexual intercourse. And then there's having a child present while there's a man walking around with his penis out. That's not cool. 
Yeah, there's a, a not so fine line for child exploitation. Like it's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty like pretty not gray. You know, it's pretty black and white. <laughs> but then I watched Hellraiser Eight: Hell World, which is the video game one. But that kind of got back to the chaotically bad level of Hellraiser sequels. Hellraiser's got this like running track record of like you know, future kind of generic, like leading, you know, leading male actors from like the 2000s and the 2010s because Henry Cavill was in this and I couldn't fucking believe it. And he also plays an annoying piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. Uh, I also watched Wicked City, which is a 1987 anime that is extremely horny. Also like kind of straight up, like kind of rough, you know, but there's some other cool stuff in it, but you know, it's, japan anime from the 80s it's like about what you expect like and like then, on some uh what's that movie uh, perfect blue like that kind of or i haven't seen perfect one? blue yet so i can't say cool. but this was it's definitely <laughs> this was definitely like if you would go to like suncoast or like fye they would have like the anime section but then they'd have like the 18 plus section and they'd all be like have the covered yeah. up like slip covers and you'd be like oh, Wicked City, well, that doesn't sound so bad. And you're like, oh, there's like a woman being horribly abused by three demons in this. That's pretty messed up. Great, yeah. You know, like they just had to go that extra mile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of being abused by demons, I just got put on to Berserk. Um, Oh, yeah, I've been watching that too. I'm watching- What the fuck is Griffith's problem, dude? I was watching that. What is his problem? Oh my God. Anyway- (laughs) Yeah, Griffith just sliding into every scene like dog. Like <laughs> I I got like look, that show is I got a little bit left of of the initial run to get through still. But let me tell you like there's a lot of pretty like hard left turn stuff in that show. Like it yeah. just does not it does not hit the brakes. But like that soundtrack is just so out of control. Oh, it's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah. And like I like it the theme whenever they're like pontificating about Griffith being so fucking cool and it's like that whoa whoa (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely I've seen that as like a TikTok sound recently it's definitely yeah exactly memeable like and then I also watched just before this The Devil's Reign which is a rewatch for me I watched that with my partner and that's a way better like satanic movie than American. That sounds familiar. What what's what's that one? It's a devil worship movie. I think from like the early seventies and like Ernest Borgnine plays the head of the the satanic sect in it. And it's ridiculous. And the last 10 minutes of it, like it's not a very long movie and the last like 10 or 15 minutes of it is just people melting. (laughs) So it's like kind of great if you're into that stuff. I like it. It's extremely corny. It's got William Shatner in it. It's got Tom Skerritt in it. It's got the cool. first appearance of uh, John Travolta in it. Damn. And outside of horror movies, I watched The Bad Lieutenant and The Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. And I liked both of them. The first movie is Drugs and Bad Decisions, the movie, and a very naked Harvey Keitel. And the Port of Call, New Orleans one with Nick Cage is just, I don't know, kind of reminded me of Uncut Gems, like just a lot of like anxiety and uncomfortableness and Nick yeah. Cage being fucking out of control. Yep. I watched Death Wish 2, which was produced by a man named Yoram Globus, and I have been on good authority that if you are watching a Yoram Globus picture, you are in for a good time. And also had music by Jimmy fucking Page that was generally pretty bad <laughs> and uh, an early appearance by Larry Fishburne. Um, yeah, oh, these wow. are like the, the Death Wish movies quickly go from like 
kind of competently well made to just like these movies are pretty pretty unhinged and then i also watched uh white house down which is a laughably stupid political thriller but is i that jamie fox that's the jamie fox Ooh, as oh it's bad it's <laughs> not a good movie by any no. stretch but it's kind of one of those it's so bad i derived a lot of fucking entertainment from it but it was not good it, it's a stupid fucking movie that's fine i just watched like most of the fast and the furious with my partner because, <laughs> because we're big I'm my partner's yeah. a huge fast and the furious fan so we spent a while watching them we just watched fast x pretty recently and like fast x wasn't like by any stretch great but it was better than fast nine i haven't i haven't made it that far i think we just got up we were doing like all the ones that they have for free on streaming i think it's up to like six or something so i, I, I think I, I just couldn't bring myself to like rent a fast and the furious no, after that no. you know I think like six, seven, and eight are like the ones that I like the most. Yeah. Those are the ones that kind of hit the peak cheese value. But in terms of like a really good movie, like that I probably will revisit on this podcast because there's some heavy metal stuff in it, even if mm -hmm. it doesn't play like a big part, is Blue Ruin. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yeah. Blue, yeah. That's the that's the one before, before Green Room. Before Green. Yeah. yeah. Before, I was about to say Green Day, but the one before <laughs> Green Room. Yeah. What that a fucking good brutal. movie. Oh, like, man. You, like, you know, I know like Death Wish is like, you know, the revenge movie, but mm -hmm. Blue Ruin is just, just like a very precise film. Like the attention, the detail, the time, the patience, the setup, it doesn't overstay its welcome, but it's just so taut. And then when it just kind of kicks into high gear, it's just one of those movies where like this guy, this filmmaker, Jeremy Saulnier, he really knows how to get you going. Like, like just the heart, your heart pounding, like hot, gripping, this one wasn't super violent as not as violent as green room, but, yeah. the, but there were the definitely violence, some moments when, it, violence, when it happened. Yeah. The violence mattered when it happened. hundred percent. Like there's a part where he's like taking a fucking arrow out of his leg. And I'm like, ah, oh, this yeah. is horrible. Yep. So yeah. yeah. Great movie. Highly recommend. You know what one gave me like a similar, it's, it gave me kind of a similar vibe, not in the, it's not so much a revenge movie, but that one, I think it was an Amazon original with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, you were never really here. I don't know if you picked I, that one. I did not watch that one. That one, he, plays, remember he plays like a retired army vet or, or Marine, like he's, he's a veteran in like modern day and his job, he's like a PI who tries to, he like finds missing young girls Mm -hmm. so it's just this kind of like darker like human trafficking kind of thing where he's like this this like complete like crazy ptsd this dude like mentally is like gone but he's still trying to like you know help people and then it gets this kind of like conspiracy going on where like the one girl he's trying to find there's some like government ties and some dudes in suits start showing you know what i mean like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of dark, but it's it's got that vibe that, that Blue Ruin kind of gave me where it was just like not very hopeful or like yeah, yeah, yeah. happy. It's just kind of like it ends and it's just like it's going to be a bummer like, for whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I honestly like kind of really gravitate. I, I love movies that hit me like that where I'm like, I got to sit there for a minute. And I'm like, damn, like what the fuck, you know, and that that one was definitely one like the the ending scene specifically in that movie really was like really powerful and just kind of like, damn, Joaquin Phoenix got it like that, you know? But, nice. So yeah, that was, that was, that was one that I, I watched that a while ago, but, um, but definitely like blue ruined sort of similar vibe to me, you know? 
I started reading the OG Star Wars Thrawn trilogy from the 90s. So I finished Heir to the Empire. Now I'm on to Dark Force Rising. And like, it's really fun to be stepping back into this world. Like I actually bought these off eBay because I wanted the old trade. Like they're not trade paper, the old paperback books that like great vintage artwork that like the newer, like shiny collections don't have. So uh, mm. it's nice to have those. And then uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about some uh, music. I, I feel like you've probably been listening to stuff, you know, given like what you do. So some stuff that I've been enjoying as of recent. Um, I enjoyed that record by the band Not N O T T. It's called High Wraith. Um, I don't really know what to call it. Like maybe like post death metal. Hmm. It just sounds gigantic, and it's like two people. Uh, the new incantation was good. I mean, it's incantation. I thought there was enough variety on it. Good mix of slower and faster songs. Yeah. The new Spirit Adrift album, Ghost of the Gap, pretty good. Uh, the band Urfaust is uh, breaking up, and I think this is the first time I've ever listened to them. I mm. thought this was a fantastic record. I'm sorry I missed the boat, and RIP this band. The album is called Untergang, uh, which is funny because th- there was a, a death metal band that I listened to. Is it Under? Is it Under Undergang? It's Undergang. Under, right? Undergang, yeah, Undergang. Yeah, yeah from under- Germany, yeah. They'll yeah, so there's Urfaust with their album Untergang, and then mm. there's Undergang, the German death metal band. Yeah. Uh, and I also listened to the new Nixel album from The Wound Spilled Forth Fire, which was really good. And I also listened to the new Death Clock album, Death Album 4. And I got to say, I fucking loved it. Like, I, I went back and listened to the first Death Clock album, and I have to listen to the rest of it because it's been a while. Yeah. But I thought it was great. Like I'm still in the midst of watching the show, so I haven't act, like gotten around to the movie, uh, the new movie yet. But I love the new album, and then I also was dipping back into that Ulcerate album that came out in 2020, Stare to Death and Be Still. That album is so fucking good. I'm very excited to see them. It's funny, it yeah. It's funny you brought them up because I have been on like a big Ulcerate kick lately, and then they're I saw so good. It. Yeah, I'm, I like marked it on my calendar. I'd like text. I was like, don't talk to me on November 25th. I'm seeing Ulcerate. Like, they never come around. So, yeah, um, big, big fan of Ulcerate. They got to be like up there in some of my favorite, like current death metal bands, you know? Like, like I don't listen to a lot of tech death, and I guess that's what they are, but I feel like I've listened to the tech death bands and not really liked it, but I like, Ulcerate is kind of like Gorguts, where it's like they really create like an atmosphere, and that's what I like about it. Hundred percent, real textural and like, not, yeah, that's yeah. a good way of describing it. Like a lot of like, it feels very like, um, like you could feel it. Like you said, a lot of texture, and yeah. it's not like super clean because I, I don't know. I feel like I've listened to Tech Death, and I'm like, this is just like very like precise and it doesn't really do that for like, me. I like that kind of tech death. Yeah, it's like the tech death that's very like quantized and like to the grid and like clean and, and obviously like edited. You know what I mean? It sounds like software. Like that shit's not really that appealing. But yeah, that like the Gorguts type of like really dissonant and yes. it's like it's technical not in a way that you're like doing sweep arpeggios. It's technical and like a the song structure is wild and the drummer's fucking going crazy. Also, his drummers nuts, dude. Like, I can't wait to see them. It's so be- sick. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's. I've been listening to them a lot lately. The uh, the new di- it's being like on death metal. Like the new Dying Fetus is great, and it's really cool to see Dying Fetus. I think they're on um, uh, Fya Fest this year. So like, I know all the hardcore kids are stoked that that Dying, mm-hmm. Dying Fetus is coming because like I feel like Dying Fetus is like every hardcore kid's favorite death metal band because they're just like not deathcore. 
they're just have hella mosh parts like just death mm-hmm. metal with dumb mosh parts so um always love dying fetus um i've been listening to uh portrayal of guilt a lot lately great um, band yeah their new their new is it is an ep i don't, I don't remember how long it is because i just fucking listening to it but yeah they're great um i caught them at saint vitus like a year or two ago i can't remember when they came through but oh was um, that with like uniform yes uh, yeah, yeah that was a really good yeah yeah and uh body void that was a really good show oh yeah fucking and body void's got some new shit coming out i think they dropped yep. a, a song yeah i love body void the the newer jesus piece record it's like super heavy yep, really good uh, sounds yeah really really like that one uh really fuck with jesus piece I've really, away from like the heavier uh, side of things, I've been listening to um, this rapper, uh, I believe he's from DC. His name is Billy Woods a lot. Um, he's in this group, uh, this duo called Armin, Armand Hammer. Uh, oh, yeah. Armand Armin Hammer. Hammer yeah. Armand Hammer. Yeah. So Armand Hammer is great. Um, and Billy Woods solo stuff is super like every like every track is like it feels cinematic like what you can just like mm-hmm. he tell he weaves this really awesome imagery and a lot of it's like not necessarily like drumless loops but like not super traditional like boom bat or like hip-hop type it's very like low-key kind of um loop type stuff but yeah his i'm just really really into his stuff lately um and he's got a really cool um collaboration album with this artist more mother who's really fantastic that's a really cool kind of like experimental little noisy hip-hop type stuff um and then uh he's got a song on one of his like newer albums with this rapper named fat boy sharif who's from uh from new jersey who is fantastic a lot of the time i've been like traveling so it'll be like a little uh uh, a little joint playlist like with whoever's in the car you know so i don't know i've been listening to a lot of a lot of weird shit but that's a couple <laughs> yeah that's a that's a couple um that's a couple like newer releases i've been into um a couple of shows that i went to recently uh went to see uh stormkeep the fucking epic black metal band that's like from the black the blood incantation camp uh, along with vilcasis and sylvan throne at tbi uh that was fucking great Cool. Let's see my buds and Somnuri do their record release show at Union Pool. Uh, should pick it up. I did on vinyl. Um, and I went to go see Black Tusk and Wrestle Spirit St. Vitus the other day. It's great. I, I fucking love Black Tusk. I think they rock. It was kind of a late attendance. You know, it was like a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But I, I really like Black Tusk. I think they're, I, I like that sound. And it's very like kind of, two. It, you know, they're very much of that like 2000s relapse era kind of shit where it was like kind of fuzzy but like very sludgy but still fast and yeah thing so i like that where they kind of mix that stuff together and you don't really get too many bands like that these days without just kind of sounding like a high on fire clone or something like that for sure yeah gonna just shout out a couple of uh things here i started checking out this podcast about video games uh that my partner sarah's into called watch out for fireballs they're very like in-depth conversations about uh, like retro games, so just I guess. Um, so you know, kind of like this, just like long dives and tangents into them. And then also going to shout out uh, Heretic Body Hammer, which is uh, last episode's last episode's guest Irene's uh, crusty black and death metal band. And also going to shout out Philip K. Discs, which is the label that uh, previous guest and friend of the show Jeremy Hunt runs. Focuses on it's a great name. 
It is, right? Okay, disc. Yeah, that's great. It focuses on experimental and noise type stuff. The first two new releases are from uh, Jeremy's band Koheleth, which is uh, with an album called Contaminants of War and a DVD uh, called Subterranean Transmissions. That's like three hours worth of music videos and such. The other is from a, uh, an artist called Adzis or Adzis with their album Inver which based on the PR of it is kind of closer to metal in nature. I gave it a quick listen. It's kind of like a post-metal sort of uh, like, uh, like I guess like neurosis or Isis kind of like with a dinosaur junior sort of vibe to it. Connor, do you want to let people know where they can, uh, you know, find your bands and uh, whatever else oh, you do? For sure. Yeah. So um, I play in Comi Mierda and we talked about, so you can find us on Instagram, um, we're not on Twitter or X. I'm not calling it X. It's Twitter forever. Um, but yeah, you can um, you can find us. Let me. What's our tag? You can find us just at uh, com or dot com. Oh my god, I'm dating myself. At band. Um It's C O M E M I E R D A. In case y'all don't speak Spanish, um, I don't really. Our singer does, so I'm like, we we have a joke, but we're uh, Jackie and the Come Gringos. Um, so. <laughs> If you have to pivot to like another type of music, but we don't want to change the lineup, you can just call yourselves like Jackie and the Green Goes. Yeah, yeah, for real. That's that's gonna be a good one. Um, so yeah, so I got I have that band. Um, I play in a band called Black Force in the Docks. Uh, we're based in Jersey City. Uh, we are like a hip hop R and B kind of little jazz flavoring, um, kind of like a collective. There's like a bunch of people in the band. We are, it's just Black Force in the Docks on Instagram. Um, it's just a kind of play on like shoes, like Black Air Forces and Doc Martens. It's just like a weird, I didn't name the band, but uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So we got, uh, so I got that band. And then I have um, a new band that I've been working on a little bit here and there in between like the Kome stuff. It's called Cement Slipper. We are working on a little demo right now that um, I need to finish up and then mix so I can put out. But it's kind of like some metallic hardcore, like metalcore-y, like super, just lots of like mosh parts and no nothing clean, just like real aggro, lots of um, lots of feedback, lots of noise, and you know, just like lots of like really low tuned riffs and stuff. So I'm I'm really excited for that one. It's like a little bit of um, of a departure from like what I have out currently, you know, like what I've been working on. So that one's gonna be fun. Definitely like keep an eye out for that. I don't have exact dates yet. We're um, working on some things, you know, but uh, that one I'm really excited about. So it's just uh, Cement Slipper on Instagram for when we post shit. I'll keep you posted. Cool. You can visit my website, www.diaryofdoom.com to check out that's along with my concert photography or follow the podcast at diaryofdoompodbean.com. You can follow Diary of Doom on Instagram at Diary of Doom, like it on Facebook at facebook.com slash Diary of Doom, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and whatever shady podcast streaming app you want to use. If you want to suggest a movie for me to discuss on the podcast, you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1988 at gmail.com. Connor, thanks for spending uh more than uh, <laughs> more than a decent chunk of your day off to talk about a fucking terrible movie. Hell yeah! No, I had a good time. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's cool to talk about some other stuff too. But yeah, that was uh, definitely definitely an experience <laughs> so, <laughs> watching <yeah>. and reviewing. <laughs>
Uh, I did not walk away from this becoming uh, any more of a fan of Sumerian records than I think I was prior to. Nah, definitely didn't do them any any favors with that one. I don't know. Hopefully their next release will be better. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, no.